Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, kind of in the final stretch. And by the way, thanks for the great feedback. We, I mean, we love it. Keep it up, Bill, at gospel-app.com. And help us get the word out to at least one other person this week. I mean, just pray about it and, and go with the Spirit. And I hope that you're also enjoying the seven-part Advent series we started, A Different Kind of Christmas Pageant. We're trying to highlight things that you know, are usually overlooked in the annual Advent Sermon Series, the annual Christian's Children's Pageant. How often, for instance, do you hear anything about Zechariah, uh, the shamed priest? And look, you know, no one got more verses in the Christmas story than Zeke. Do you know what I mean? What can Herod tell us about the gospel? How about the Magi? And hopefully these are not just informative, but life-changing. Make it a part of your Advent devotions. Uh, You'll be glad you did. It comes out on Saturdays until Christmas Eve. The Sermon on the Mount podcast will continue with uh, uh, coming out on Sundays, and we should finish the Sermon on the Mount this year, and so I'm praying about where to go next. This will be a two-part Sermon on the Mount series on prayer. We are both mesmerized by prayer and confused. What kind of prayer does God like? That's what we want to know. What does he want? And that's important. Have we been messing it up? Have we been falling short? You know what? You may be surprised and encouraged. I think you will be. I've preached and written on this topic, the Lord's Prayer in particular, in the past and had lots of feedback, lots of dialogue, lots of people changing their practice. So I love it. Bill at gospel-app.com. I'm sure you're going to want to push back. Now, before we look at prayer, I am reminded of one of the greatest prayers in Hollywood history. I mean, that's setting the bar low, but look, just for fun, this is hilarious. Remember Ben Stiller, Robert De Niro, and Meet the Parents? Stiller plays Greg, a Jewish man who is trying to impress the father of his fiancée, De Niro doesn't believe that Greg is good enough for his daughter, so one of the tests is to get him to give thanks at the dinner table. It is hilarious and, uh, you know, maybe convicting. So take a listen, and then a word from our sponsors, and we'll get back to more serious things. So listen, thanks for indulging my twisted sense of humor. We need to laugh every now and then. All right, we'll see you after the clip and after the break. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad, you know that. You're telling me Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace in many a dinner table. Okay. Oh... Dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, O sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laying at our table this day and each day by day day by day 
by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed uh, Meet the Parents. Remember, from the last podcast, Jesus now seems to be addressing the three main pillars of Jewish piety in his time. That would be almsgiving, we covered that last podcast, prayer and fasting, meaning that a righteous Jew who wanted to be in good graces with God, who hoped that God's face would shine on them, would be the man or woman who regularly did all three. I mean, enough, whatever enough means. But here's the rub. Is Jesus, come on, really, is he really telling those beat-up religious failures on the hillside in Galilee that if only they prayed right and more, or more theologically correctly, enough? And again, whatever enough means, or maybe if they really meant the prayer, if they were really worshipful enough, then God would finally relieve their pain and shame and heal them. He would answer their prayers if they got that correct. That then God would make them respectable, he'd see them differently, maybe love them, or at least lift the curses a little bit, relieve their pain. You see, is Jesus saying that it's all their fault that they weren't praying right? I mean, doesn't that sound more like paganism than Jesus? Doesn't it? But that's the implication of much of Jewish writing at the time. Not that God would ever make a place for those unclean, uh, broken men and women that Jesus gathered on the hill. I mean, demon-possessed, tax collectors, crippled, no doubt, shepherds, tanners, prostitutes, Gentiles. Oh, my. They were pretty much toast. But for the righteous Jew, you know, the one who goes to the temple, makes sacrifices, and so forth, uh, you know, the Jews of Jesus' day seemed to accept that they could better their lot if they gave alms and right and, and enough and prayed right and enough and fasted right and enough. And by the way, I think that reflects a lot of Christianity today. I mean, no judgment. I'm part of that. So we're going to look at what praying right and enough looks like for the next two podcasts. It's interesting to note, I think, that 40 years later, after the temple is destroyed by the Romans so that there can be no more offerings or priestly prayers, institutionalized prayers at the Jerusalem temple, so this would be post-70 AD, regular communal and private Jewish prayer becomes a substitute 
becomes uh, better, a replacement for the sacrificial cult uh, and the ancient temple in Jerusalem. So Jewish prayer post-70 AD is as important as sacrifice at the temple was. So you got to believe they got to get it right for sure. So today, certainly the most prescribed prayer and most well-known in Judaism is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Uh, In the synagogue, the remainder of the Shema prayer is taken from three biblical sources. They just repeat these, Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, 11, 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, 37 to 41. And that's not the only prayer I'm not saying it is, but it's perhaps the most similar to how we treat the Lord's Prayer, we Christians, as far as it being institutionalized and said word for word and often said rotely. I mean, no judgment. In the Mishnah, the ancient writings, Rabbi Shimon, so this, so think 75 AD, he warned, be careful with the recitation of the Shema and the prayers, right? The same prayers. When you pray, do not regard your prayers as fixed obligation, but rather as the asking for mercy and supplication before God. As the verse states, and he's quoting Joel 2.13, for gracious and merciful is he, slow to anger, great in kindness, and relenting of the evil decree. Do not consider yourself wicked in your own eyes. Okay, so what is he saying? Here, I think this is what he's saying. Don't get into the practice of just saying the words. It's got to be from the heart. It's got to be organic. And, and don't be afraid of God. He's gracious. He desires prayer, and he desires your prayer. Don't beat yourself up in shame to the point that you can't be free before God, and you're, too, and, and you're so afraid you're just going to read it word for word so you don't make a mistake. But, you know, that's what we do, right? Humans are humans. In post-70 AD, post-temple, Jewish prayer inevitably became largely fixed, uh, very literal. And, and no doubt, in individual creative prayer was and still is widely practiced, right? We're human. But, you know, and, and by the way, ancient Jewish writers have noted that in biblical times, as far as we know, there's not a lot of fixed prayers, and by which they mean prayers fixed in time and wording. Rather, it seems all recorded prayers that come out of people's mouths, right, in the narratives— perhaps with the notable exception of the Psalms, but even those were likely at one point in time spontaneous prayers of David and others that have been edited and encoded into the Jewish identity in ours. So the transition from spontaneous in the Old Testament to fixed prayer post-70 AD seems to have been part of the transition to a post-temple world. While there may have been some attempts, Jewish writers say, to fix prayer formulas while the temple was still around, they don't seem to have attained much prominence in literature, meaning we just don't have a lot of them. Now, look, we do believe the Jews memorized many psalms, those are prayers, but we have little evidence that they treated them much like they treat the Shema, or that we treat the so-called Lord's Prayer. One of the best classes I had at seminary was on the psalms with the late Eugene Peterson. Uh, We were to pray the psalms, and by that he meant aloud walking around our house and neighborhood. Uh, we were to do five a day and say them, right? And, and then do our best to personalize them. So use I and me and you, God. So look, I was cynical. This, this seemed like foolishness to me. Uh, so for the first week or two or even three, I didn't expect much, but I got to tell you, uh, I, I ended up loving it. I started talking to God in a whole new way. And it was amazing. In fact, 
One of the Psalms, Psalm 88, which is sometimes called the Black Psalm or the Dark Psalm because it accuses God of so many nasty things and then ends, darkness is my closest friend. I mean, yuck, it's a slap in the face to God. You know what? I call it my Psalm. I mean, I went through some pretty dark times and Psalm 88 gave me words. And and then when I started to personalize them and actually own them, uh, oh my goodness. And so I would, <laughs> I would walk around my neighborhood, you know, yelling Psalm 88 at God and, uh, you know, got some crazy looks and a weird reputation for some of my neighbors, but my life was changed. <laughs> so I recommend that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to recommend that at the end of this podcast. So back to the Sermon on the Mount. How do you see the Lord's Prayer? Is it uh, let me see. Do you, do you think that Jesus is prescribing a fixed ritual prayer that we should memorize and repeat daily, word for word, uh, to get it right? Or do you think that he was sharing his personal prayer that he said every day? You know, he had his little card and, and, his, and he read it aloud so the disciples get it right word for word. Or do you think that the apostles and Paul, after that, picked it up? and said it regularly and taught their disciples to do so, even even though there's absolutely no record of that anywhere. I mean, it's not even mentioned in any of Paul's letters, right? Or is Jesus rather teaching us something about prayer, about our place in the world, about our relationship with God, how we communicate with God, and really something about our hearts? I'll, I'll say more, right? Now, I'm going to argue the latter. We're going to have some fun. And you might initially resist it because we've been so indoctrinated here, I get it. And believe me, the so-called Lord's Prayer is an amazing prayer and more than worthy of exploring and studying and embracing and understanding, taking it to heart. But there's a problem. I've come to see that it's not just a prayer that needs to be repeated. It's a sermon. It's a spiritual formation technique, a lesson that should expose us, challenge us, humble us, bring us to our knees in repentance, and, you know, lead us to a renewed desire to stop working so hard to earn God's favor. And instead, I think it's teaching us the importance of depending upon the favor Jesus has already purchased. I mean, you've heard that a lot if you've been following the gospel rant. I think the prayer should be clarifying, but mostly we have made it, I think, institutional, rote, And, oh my goodness, I'm going to get heat for this. Bill at gospel-app.com. We've made it an idol of sorts. Good one, remember, but all good things can be idols. Great things like the Lord's Prayer can become great idols. Again, push back, bill at gospel-app.com. But first, listen to the rest of the podcast. (sighs) So I am going to suggest that we stop seeing the Lord's Prayer as some key to God's favor, that is if we say it enough or right, and see it more as a reminder of God's favor that we already have. So it's a sermon less on how to pray and more about why we don't pray and why we struggle with this relationship with God that Jesus already purchased uh, about how our midbrain works. Too often, too often, come on, this is, I think this is true, right? No judgment, but we use it in order to gain favor of God or to leverage God, manipulate God to do things for us. You know, God help us. And that's totally selling the cross short. This would be a good time to take a pause, not for the Lord's Prayer, but for blatant capitalism. We will see you in a minute. All right, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not 
be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for the Lord knows what you need before you even ask him. All right. Uh, same formula as the earlier section on giving, almsgiving. So when you pray, and the assumption is that the followers will pray to God, whatever that means. Not if, but as and when. Even Jewish writers observe that most praying then was organic, not rote, not specific prayers. So when Jesus says, when you pray, he is most likely not saying, when you say the approved and pure words of the prayer that I'm going to give you. He's making another point. Don't be like the hypocrites. They've received their reward. And what is their goal? Right? What is their reward? Well, the hypocrite's goal is to be noticed because of how high they are. Um, the words they use, the, their purity, their religiosity. Instead, right? Now, come on. I, I need to be honest. We're all friends here. Consider a spectrum zero to ten. Zero is you praying, not to God at all, but you know, you're saying words, you're trying to create some reputation or get approval from other hu human beings or to fulfill some requirement or to relieve guilt and shame or to avoid a scary God cursing you. That's zero. Ten is you really get it, that you're in the presence of God, where you're more than welcomed. He's so pleased that you're there. His eyes, his pupils are dilated, and he's waiting on your every word. It's close and intimate and safe and alive and uplifting. You're feeling honored and worthy and safe and loved and adored. Uh, in one of the Christmas podcasts, we had a, a skit called Anne, A Christmas Carol. It kind of images this, so uh, check that out. Now, you want an example of zero? Go, go back to the meet the parents skit. Zero doesn't mean evil. It's just not the 10, and God deserves 10. It's, you know, it's, it's not speaking to God as if you know him and you are in his arms. It's like he's your loving father, right? So it can be hilarious, but it's of the hypocrite. So here's my point. We're all on that zero to 10 spectrum every time we pray. And God help us if God's response to us or even his interest in us and our stuff is a function of whether we mean it or not, whether, whether at that moment our faith is 100%. Remember, we just spoke about what Jesus meant when he said, be perfect in Matthew 5, 48. None of us are perfect and none of our prayers are perfect. So if God's weighing them, again, God help us. Perfection doesn't happen when we repeat the Lord's prayer word for word. So Jesus's perfect prayer, I think our brain says, if we repeat it, then we got it. We got it right. But that's not life-giving. That's not intimate. That's not relational. Or, you know, some of the common practices today that aren't evil, it's just telling. You know, if we end our prayers in Jesus' name, or if you don't, or if you uh, pray to just the Father or Jesus or the Spirit, right? And you make sure that other people do because that's the right way to do it. Or if we, oh my goodness, if we say the name Jesus after every sentence. So God, we come to you, Jesus. We want to thank you for the blessings, Jesus, right? It's just kind of this, it's like we're, we're using it in place of a comma, 
or a semicolon. I mean, it's tragic, right? Or if we feel like we need to leverage God by tossing in the appropriate scripture to remind him of promises or, you know, kind of impress him a little bit. All those things are so human and not necessarily evil, but not the point. All of those things, to one degree or another, I should do a hypocrite scale. All of those things are on the hypocrisy scale a little or a lot. You know, God is ultimately not moved, quote unquote, by our prayers. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna caveat that, so don't don't uh, don't blow a fuse. He's not ultimately moved by our prayers or our righteousness or how uh, good we pray. You know what? He's moved ultimately by Jesus's righteous actions on our behalf, two thousand years ago. So now, strictly because of what Jesus did, you've heard me say this, God adores you. Whether you pray perfectly or correctly or not, he can't love you anymore. He can't be more excited to hear you and your voice than than the relationship Jesus already purchased for you. He loves you more than you love yourself. And, And it's in that atmosphere, in that context, that real prayer bubbles up organically, no matter what words you use. So, we should communicate to him. I mean, intimately. We should want to throughout the day. It should be natural. It should be one of the best things we do. But our midbrain fights against such vulnerability. Remember, nothing has hurt us more than relationships. Nothing has been more painful than conversations with loved ones that went flat, that fell short, that led to fights and were misunderstood and arguments. So now we go into the presence of the Lord of Lords, trying to communicate our needs, we, and we don't want to admit our needs, our weaknesses, it's because it's it's been painful in the past. And our amygdalas, where the fear cycle happens, they're on high alert when we pray. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to stop here. I love John Bunyan on prayer. And here's a couple things he says on the topic. He says, the best prayer I ever prayed had enough sin to damn the whole world. I love it. So for those of us who wonder, we've got to get the prayer right, uh, eh, listen to John. Here's another one. When thou prayest, remember this is at the 17th century, when thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without a heart. <laughs> Here's one, one last one. It's not the mouth that is the main thing to be looked at in prayer, but whether the heart is so full of affection and earnestness in prayer with God that it is impossible to express their sense and desire. For then a man desires indeed, when his desires are so strong and many and mighty that all the words, tears, and groans that can come from the heart cannot utter them. Oh my. Do you follow? I think we know this, right? Uh, When we teach our children the Lord's Prayer and we say, that's how you pray to God, yeah, I think we're partly right and partly wrong. I, I wonder if we're failing at that very initial stage of spiritual formation. Um, yeah, I think we are. Look, God doesn't want our words. He wants our hearts. He wants you and me to stop trying to be righteous, to trying, trying to impress him, and to accept the gift of righteousness that he has already purchased by his son. Bunyan suggests that the very first prayer for Christians is not the Lord's Prayer or some other prayer. It's to pray for the motivation to pray. And and keep praying until you begin to feel that you want to pray for something and that God has given you what he would call an unction, something that God gives uh, that that comes with a real passion to pray for something, for someone, for for you, for some failing or, or joy. 
and then do that. And so consider putting away the prayer list. They can be idols. They can be entrapping. And then ask God what he wants you to be really passionate about. Ask him what he wants you to pray about. Ask him to give you passion about something. And it may be one thing. And then once you have the passion and you're in there and in God's arms, then do what comes naturally. Talk to God. And that will be a most powerful prayer. Uh, and, and by the way, just to kind of, you know, uh, prime the pump, pray the Psalms. I have to say it, it. It was fantastic. Keep it real. The fun part is personalizing them, using your words and using the I, me, and you language. Loosen up. Ask the Spirit to make you want to, make you enjoy it, make you feel the words, uh, to to allow things inside of you, your feelings to be exposed. I'm, I, you know, in the attachment theory, I'm avoidant. I like to keep my emotions in check, uh, personally, but uh, it's a Spirit's passion to uh, uh, open my arms to to make me feel that and, and to lay it before God's throne and to make me feel loved and feel joy. And look, he can do it. <laughs> so to quote Greg, oh, my sweet Lord. Oh, my sweet Lord. All right. That's all for this podcast. And hopefully it makes sense. At pushback, Bill at gospel-app.com. Thanks again to Life Audio. Check out the other podcast at their site, lifeaudio.com. And also pass the word about Gospel Rant to others you know, particularly the, the uh, Christmas series. This is important. I'm hoping it's life-changing stuff. And by the way, parents of teens and tweens, check out Good Enough Parent. It's free, www.goodenoughparent.online. You'll be so glad you did. 15 short tips delivered to your email once a day for 15 days. And look, here's an idea. Every, Every one of us knows struggling parents. No better Christmas gift than something like Good Enough Parent online. Next time, we're going to plunge into the so-called Lord Prayer. We're going to have some fun. I think, it, look, I think it'll be an aha moment. Pass the word around that we're getting to the Lord's Prayer. This one podcast can change the state of spiritual formation. You'll see. All right. Take heart, child of God. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.